generous. And um, do any of you guys know about those DNA kits? Have any of you done a DNA kit that you guys want to admit? You want to raise your hand? Only one person. Okay, let me explain what this DNA kit is. You can now buy them at Target on an end cap. Uh, but essentially what happens is you get this little box, and inside the box are instructions, a tube, and a return envelope, a padded return envelope. And what you do is you spit, a lot of spit, into this tube, and then you mail it. And then what they do is they dissect your spit, and they can figure out your heritage from that alone. Now, it used to be that normal people like you and me, we couldn't afford it, okay, because it was a medical kind of process. But now, because of modern technology, for 100 bucks, any of you can get this vial, spit in it, mail it in, and they'll tell you where you're from. Now, the reason I got this for my wife is because my wife is adopted, and uh, Megan didn't know a whole lot about her heritage. She didn't know anything about her heritage. And so I thought this would be the gift of herself to tell her story and figure out, where the heck are you from, Megan? Where's your heritage at? And she got that. I was also kind of hoping that it would say, like, you're from here, and that's why you're so stubborn. Because she doesn't believe me when I say she's stubborn. And, and now, granted, I'm the only one allowed to say that, okay? So don't you tell her she's stubborn. That's a right for me, her husband, who is equally um, stubborn. But um, it was great. She got the spit in this tube, disgusting mail it in, and some poor part-time employee somewhere making minimum wage who gets to do that every day. The next time you think you have a bad job, just imagine working for 23andMe, okay? So uh, your job could probably um, be just a little bit worse. But we love, love, love learning about ourselves. And speaking of the DNA kits, I actually saw somebody, uh, one of my, we all have Facebook friends who post like conspiracy theories all the time, right? And you usually just unfollow them. But one of them I really like because his conspiracy theories are like some next level conspiracy theory stuff. And so I keep following him because I really want to know. And I I saw that he posted something, and he's like, don't do the DNA test. This is a government secret thing. They just want your information. And I thought, that is so dumb. And let me explain for just a moment. Okay, Our government brings in the CEO of Facebook and under oath asks him how Facebook makes money because they don't know how advertising versus subscription business models work. The same government brings in Google CEO because they're convinced there's one person orchestrating all the Google searches. That's 3 trillion Google searches a day. For you mathematicians in the room, that's 63,000 Google searches a second. Since I started speaking, that's 6.3 million searches that have done. And they're saying there's one guy controlling it. That is the most productive human being in human history. I'd love him to come work for us because he is just busy, no breaks at all. Um, look, I don't think there's a conspiracy behind these DNA kits, but you should be aware that there are now a couple major companies that have information on like 80% of us, okay? So they, we should be more worried about those companies than our government, okay? Now, we love, love, love learning about ourselves, right? I mean, that's, we love talking about ourselves. We, nobody loves me like I love me. And we can, you guys cannot. It's true. It's okay. That's part of this series is that we're just going to acknowledge it um, and we're going to talk about it. And so uh, this takes us back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the first chapter. And right away, we find out something very important about every single person in the room and who's ever lived. And in verse 27, we read that in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
you and I and the person sitting next to you and the person sitting in front of you, we were created in the image of God. And I imagine if you're a person of faith this morning, you probably have heard this before. It's not the first time you, you've heard it. As a matter of fact, some of you are trying to read the Bible through a year, so you've just read this like six days ago. And, and so far, you're still doing good, right? Six days through the year. Um, but we're told that we're made in the image of God. So, But what does that mean? I think a lot of us would agree with that. Yeah, I'm made in the image of God. Sure, that sounds good. That sounds right. I've heard that before. But then we say, what does it mean? And maybe we're like, yeah, that's also a good question. (laughs) I agree with it, but what does it mean? Well, the first thing is, is that uh, it means you are not God. Extroverts, look at someone nearby you and say, you are not God. Introverts, just think about it. Check. You're already doing it, okay? You are not God. You are made in the image of God. And again, that probably needs some dissecting. And so this morning, I want to talk about what does it mean to be in the image of God? What does this mean? We're not God. That's a good thing. Um, And we're talking about it because of this new series, Genetically Generous. And again, I think you're going to love this series. One, not because we're talking about money. I know that talking about money in church can like give half of you guys a stroke or a panic attack, just relax. This series is actually about you, okay? And you're like, oh, yeah, well, okay. If it's about me, I like that. And the other thing is, is it's about the Bible, and it's about modern science. And a lot of people, and sometimes in faith and sometimes in the science world, will tell you that those two are at odds with each other and don't believe them. Science and faith aren't at odds with each other. There's an intersection of faith and science and having both. Understanding faith and understanding science actually gives you a bigger picture of the world. Uh, Science is studying the things that we were told God created. So there's no problem here. And so we're going to talk about research and studies about us. But now let's get back to the image of God. Because what does that mean when we say that we are made in the image of God? And I think I can best illustrate it by talking about some Orthodox Christianity. And you're like, Orthodox Christianity? What does that mean? Really easy. It means what are the things that we as Christians believe across the spectrum? So it doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Lutheran or Pentecostal or evangelical or not affiliated. These are the things that across the spectrum we all agree on. For example, we believe that God is eternal. That makes sense. God exists outside of time. God created time. Time is about earth rotations around the sun and all of that. So God created it. God exists outside of time. God exists inside of time. You are not God. You only exist within time. Now, because of that, though, because God is eternal, there's an aspect of us being created in the image of God that longs to be eternal. I think that that's why there's so much fear and anxiety around death and dying and what happens, even amongst believers here. I think that they're still kind of like that, yeah, I know I'm going to get to be with Jesus and and heaven and it's going to be great and way better than this life. But it's not like we're anxiously like, well, I can't wait for the day that I die, right? I mean, nobody is like really saying that. And so there's this aspect of I want to be eternal. That's what it's like to be made in the image of God. We know that God is love. Doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Pentecostal, we believe that God is love. Not just that God loves you and God loves you, but that God is love. And we are made in his image. Each and every one of us have a desire to be loved. And each of us have a desire to love. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. You are not God, but we have a sense. We want to be eternal. We want to love. And God is generous. I don't think that anyone would disagree with that. From the very beginning of all of creation up to the cross and beyond, God is generous. And because of that, you and I are generous. You are genetically generous. I am genetically generous. We are all genetically generous. And this is what it means to be made in the image of God. Now I think, okay, image of God, check. 
kind of getting that. But what does it now mean to be genetically generous? And I'm so glad you guys are here for this first week because I'm really laying the foundation for the next few weeks of conversations as we build up on this concept of genetically generous. So what does it mean to be genetically generous? And uh, before I get too deep into that, I'm going to say that in just a moment, we're going to watch a, a video. And what I want you to do while we watch this video is to not check out to not get so sucked into the story that you forget where you're at, what day and time it is. But I want you to think about what are you feeling? All the feels and the emotions and those things going through your body. What are you feeling at different stages of this video? Let's watch it. So I'll ask again, what did you feel? I think we all felt something, even though we know that was a production, right? I mean, we know that. They didn't really document for 30 years and figure out, oh, that this really happened. But still, we felt something, right? Even though we know it was a production. And we're praying for those of you who didn't, okay? We felt something. And that is exactly the point and what it means to be genetically generous. I don't think any of you grew up in Thailand. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think any of you speak the language, but what was going on in this clip transcends culture and language, doesn't it? We didn't need to know what they were saying to understand that what was going on was simply just beautiful and something deep inside of us to move. Well, those intangible emotions, those things that are stirring inside of us right now are a result of physical reactions. And that's what it means to be genetically generous. Um, I, I came across this article in U.S. News and World Report. They're talking about generosity in the brain, and I want to read it to you um, here quickly. It says, the feel-good effects of giving begin in the brain. It's called giver's glow. It's triggered by brain chemistry, which recognizes rewarding stimuli. Philanthropy doles out several different happiness chemicals, including dopamine, endorphins that give people a sense of euphoria which is associated with tranquility, serenity, and inner peace. This pleasure and reward system is at its most basic level tied to the joy we receive from eating, sex, and social interactions. Viewing the brain with MRI technology during moments of generosity or selfless behavior has led scientists to uncover that even the thought of giving can engage this ancient response. This explains why the brain responds to generosity in a similar way as it does behaviors necessary for life. Those emotions that we feel when we watch a giving video or when we see somebody post something on their Facebook wall about a story of generosity and we call them feel-good posts is a physical reaction in your brain. There are chemicals being sent and different things going on that says this is good. The same things that are going on in your head when you go to a great restaurant and eat good food, the same things that are going on in your head when you're going to a New Year's Eve party you're really excited about, and not to be crude, but the research shows sex. That's why people who are so generous have happiness and joy. It is a physical reaction to what they are doing. A lot of us, we start the new year in 2019, we're like, hey, this is a great time for me to eat healthier. Why do we want to eat healthier? Not because of today. Because if we're only making choices for today, we would want the cheeseburger and fries, right? But because we have a long-term vision for our life and a long-term vision for our health, we make choices today. We make sacrifices. We order the salad instead of the pizza 
Because we say, hey, in 2019, I want to eat better because I want to be happier. We go to the gym, not because it feels good at the time to go to the gym, because how many of us would rather sit at home on the couch eating Cheetos, watching Netflix, right? I can't be the only one, but we make a choice to go to the gym because we know that the long-term effects of going to the gym are positive and helpful, that it's going to make me happier in the long run going to the gym and eating healthier than it will be in the long run to eat the cheeseburgers and watch another show. We know this, right? And in the same way as we start 2019, instead of saying, well, I'm going to be happier, I'm going to be more joyful, or I want to experience less anxiety and less depression, and instead of coming up with this massive list, there's only one thing that we need to begin doing that unlocks a lot of those things. And it's developing a habit of generosity. You and I, it's not just a good idea, it's a God idea, and it releases chemicals, a biological reaction in ourselves that will lead us to be happier and healthier people. It's based, again, I read U.S. News and World Report. I wasn't reading something from Christianity Today. I was reading actual statistics and research and studies that they show this. To, be, to not be generous, when we refuse to be generous, is to actually go against the way that we are created. It's the same as never exercising. It's the same as never eating. And that's why I think that sometimes we get so down and out and we're like, man, but I'm trying so hard and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Why am I not experiencing the happiness? Because we're going against the way we were wired. We are created in the image of God. We are genetically generous. And as a result, there is a physical, biological reaction going on inside of you when you give. Okay? That's awesome. And you didn't need the video. And you don't need my analysis of this study. Because you've all experienced it at one point or another in your own lives. Have you ever volunteered somewhere? And it was really tough. And it was a long day of volunteering. And you get home and you're dead tired. But deep down inside of you, you said it was meaningful. It was worthwhile. Why is that? Is that just a good idea? Do you have to talk yourself into it? No, it's because biologically, those chemicals were being released the entire time you were serving. Why? Because you were created in the image of God, and God is going to reward you for that physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's why when we baptize somebody at this church, we all get excited and we cheer and we clap because it's the best kind of feeling to know that what we are doing here with our time and our energy and our, our giving, that, man, it affects people who are not yet a part of this church, that it affects people in this city who are not yet here today but who will be. It's why when you get together with somebody who's having a rough time or going through a bad situation in life and you guys go out for coffee or you go out to eat and you pay for it and they just, you know, talk your ear off for like two hours, you get home and you don't ever post about it on Twitter or Facebook, but deep down inside of you, there's this sense of significance. And that's because you are genetically generous. Every single one of us are. We were created to be generous. We were created in the image of God. We see God being generous all the way back in creation. God didn't need to create you. God didn't need to create us. God wasn't bored. God wasn't looking for something to do for the next few thousand years, right? But God decided out of a place of love to create you and me. And he didn't just put us in the middle of a desert and say, well, let's see how they can figure it out. God puts us in paradise. We're told that he puts us in a garden with everything that we need, air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat. He even creates another person so we can have friends and relationships. At the very beginning, we see that God is being generous. He creates us. You can never, ever pay God back for creating you. 
You just can't. You can't ever pay God back for the air that you're breathing right now. You can't ever pay God back for all the food that you've consumed and will consume and water you drink, right? God is generous beyond what we could ever pay him back. And then what do we do as humans? We kind of live selfishly, right? Every single one of us, we make selfish choices day in and day out. And what happened was, was we made those selfish choices. God is walking around a garden with the first humans, we're told, and they sin. They made a choice to love themselves over God, to do what they wanted, not what God wanted. And what ended up happening is sin and death and darkness enters into the world. And what God could have done is just start over. Well, shoot. God could have just given up on us and said, well, these are the natural consequences to what you chose. So good luck. Wouldn't want to be a, but God doesn't do any of those things. God continues to engage human beings. He continues to leave the heavens to be with us and move around us. God continues to do that through Genesis and Exodus and throughout the whole Old Testament. And then we got up to the Christmas story, which we just got through the Christmas season. And he sends Jesus, his son, to do what? To live the life that you and I should have lived. You and I can hardly ever go a single day without being selfish. You and I can hardly go an entire day being completely selfless. That's so hard. And Jesus goes his whole life selfless. He lives the way that you and I were supposed to. As a result of our decisions, we all deserve death. We've all contributed to the brokenness of the world. Even the best person in here right now has accidentally said or done something that indirectly hurt somebody. We have all contributed to the brokenness of the world and we all deserve death. But Jesus takes that death for us. So not only does he live the life we should have lived, he dies the death we all now deserve. And why does he do that? Because our God is generous. And our God is generous beyond what we could ever repay him. And this generosity flows from love. As a matter of fact, I would insist, I really believe that generosity is love in action. I think that almost every time in our language you use the word love, you can sub it out for generosity. For example, in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, we read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You can read, Dear friends, let us be generous to one another, for generosity comes from God. Everyone who is generous has been born of God and knows God. Whoever is not generous does not know God because God is generous. Do you see how easily those words substitute in and out? Generosity is love in action because we know that generosity is more than buying somebody at Starbucks their cup of coffee, right? Have you ever done that in the drive-thru? You paid for your drink and you paid for the person behind you and they have this pay-it-forward thing that keeps going on. We know that it's more than the three bucks. We know that generosity is more than the spare change you give the red bucket at the grocery store, right? We know that every act of generosity is motivated by something deeper that we do not see and we know that it's motivated by love. That when we pay the drink forward, that when we give the change at the grocery store, that it's really an expression of my love, that my generosity is that action. Think about this. Any of you guys watching football this weekend? 
No, you're a bunch of nerds. I, I forget. And during March Madness, there's always going to be one guy in the stands and he's holding a poster. And the camera's going to pick it up one time during the game. And on that poster says John 3.16. Always. Every sporting event I've ever seen on TV, there's always one guy. He might not even be wearing a shirt. He has like his face painted. It's John 3.16. And it says, it's a Bible verse. You don't have to grow up in the church to know this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he got the warm tinglys. God so loved the world that he's super attracted to it. No, no. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's right there, explicitly written over and over and over again, that if I care about someone, that if I love someone, it's an act of generosity. I love my kids, Oliver and Elijah. That's why I can't go to Target without walking back to the cars section and seeing if there's a Disney Cars Pixar toy that they don't have yet. Because for $3, $3 is nothing to see Oliver's face light up and scream and say, wow, when I hand him that version of Lightning McQueen that he's got 12 other Lightning McQueens, but this one's a little bit different. $3 is nothing because I love him, because I love my son. That $3 is meaningless. I want the car. Give it to me. I'd probably pay twice as much just because of who he is. Now, Disney don't get any ideas, okay? I love my wife. It's not just a calendar notification that goes off, oh, my wife's birthday is in a week. I better get her something because otherwise she's going to be mad. No. Well, I'd be terrible. You would say that would be terrible of me. So you must not really love your wife if you need a calendar reminder to go off to remind you that you need to go buy something, right? No, I know her birthday's coming up. For months, I know it's coming up. And I'm thinking, what can I get her? What can I get her? Not just that costs a lot of money, but what can I get her that's meaningful? I want her to know that I'm thinking of her, that I value her, and that I love her. And so I give, and the same is true for every single one of us, that if we love someone, if we love something, we are genetically generous, and we need to give. And when we do, we are rewarded. And the same we're rewarded when we eat good food, when we go to the party, or when we have sex, okay? Now, I'm excited for this series, and I hope that you keep coming back for it. Next week, Dan is going to teach us about genetic profiles. I'm sorry, generous profiles, okay? Now, this is not a BuzzFeed quiz. This is not like, which friend's character are you, okay? This is actually researched and studied about different ways that we all show generosity. So if you thought that all we were talking about was money this series, you're wrong, okay? We're going to talk about all the different ways that we can express generosity. And I'm really excited for Dan's message. I'm kind of jealous that he gets to teach it, but I, he, he'll do a great job. I know it, okay? You'll want to be here next week. And the entire time we're going through the series, we're building on this idea that we are genetically generous, that it comes from God, and that generosity is an expression of our love. So as we wrap up today, let's look back at the verse in Genesis, right? Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and I were created in the image of God. You and I are not God, but we are created in his image. And our God is generous beyond what we could ever pay him back As such, you and I should be generous beyond what anyone else could ever pay us back. That's what our brains instinctly reward us for doing. And remember the research, it said just by thinking about generosity, 
you get some of those chemicals released. That's how powerful the act of generosity is. And we are most like ourselves when we are generous. So let's embrace the image of our generous God and grow more and more into the generous people that he has created us to be. You guys pray.